when I think two to three years out, I'm imagining these composable commerce platforms, not just in e-commerce, but really any platform becoming um, the standard that all tech providers, everything that gets produced, their destination is to live in a composed platform. Welcome to a new episode of the Composable Commerce Leaders podcast. Today I'm joined by Mike Pierce, who is with Echidna, which is a digital commerce agency and a solution partner to us at Spryka out of Oklahoma, where Mike is the chief technology officer. Mike has uh, 20 plus years of super interesting experience, uh, starting with his army time over to technology and how he got into Walmart, uh, leading IT over there. Uh, his time as CIO for Petra Industries. And uh, we have a very interesting conversation about many things about the go-to-market around composable cameras, how to position uh, an agency in this I type of business, how to differentiate, uh, how to pitch business outcomes and his perspectives on, you know, the best possible uh, pitch and approach, uh, his views and thoughts about AI and much more. So let's start, uh, enjoy and let's go. So welcome everyone to a new episode of our Composable Commerce Leaders podcast. Together I'm with Mike Pierce, who is president with uh, Echidna. Echidna is a digital commerce agency from New York. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate you having me here. So, Mike, uh, why don't we start with um, just you know uh, yourself and, and how you got into into digital commerce? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been in e-commerce for over 20 years now. I got my start in the late 90s at Walmart. Actually, uh, got to uh, be part of the early e-commerce applications teams there as a as a programmer and then as a manager. Um, I led e-commerce applications for Walmart.com, SamsClub.com, Asda.com in the UK, and really their global e-commerce initiative uh, fell under my team's purview. Um, so early days of building from scratch, building software from you know, uh, ASP.NET, which was kind of oh, wow. new out at the time, uh, got to implement on some early platforms like Broadvision and then the earliest versions of IBM WebSphere. Um, and so it's been about six years doing that at Walmart, really getting uh, familiar with uh, e-commerce and, of course, for such a large retailer, getting exposed to a lot of challenges and pressures in those early days. I went on from there to uh, work at Teleflora again, at Teleflora, building large e-commerce applications for our 12,000-strong uh, florist network there, providing e-commerce solutions for them, as well as Consumer Direct. A custom I build? Custom built on a classic ASP platform, okay. so really on legacy software technology yeah. at the time. Uh, very difficult to support, and it became mm. very rigid over time. As you can imagine, anyone that's in that space mm. understands that as you have all these customizations being implemented, they're very novel and unique to the business, and so they serve yeah. the business very well. But they can also become very cumbersome over time mm -hmm. and very difficult to modify and enhance right. And, right. and adapt to the changing market demands. So we discovered a lot of that and wanted to make the push to the cloud and to 
you know, more uh, composable type platforms. Uh, there weren't many around back in 2010, <laughs> 2011. So Monolith is what we had. And, um, and most of those were really starting to move to the cloud. And I wanted to be part of that journey. So I left sort of the corporate big, big corp IT uh, industry and moved into the service sector first as a executive technology strategy consultant where mm -hmm. I got to learn a lot about why businesses struggle with technology, what right. it is that they need from their, their uh, technology partners and teams to be successful, and then uh, joined Echidna in 2016 to try and deliver a lot of that, at least in the e-commerce space, mm -hmm. um, and working with my team, working through our practices, and really leveraging not only my experience in e-commerce, but, but my counterparts. Many of us from the, you know, the right. earliest days of commerce have our roots in that, uh, that business. So yeah, that's where we've spent our time in e-commerce, and then in these last five years, of course, as composable commerce has really come to light, that's where all of our attention is turning. Uh, we build novel, unique, sophisticated solutions for mm -hmm. our clients who need very specific requirements met. Um, and we know we don't want to customize that so uh, significantly that it hinders their progress in right. the future. So again, composable commerce, I think, is arriving at the appropriate time to provide these kinds of sophisticated solutions for our clients. This makes 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 total sense. And let's talk about Echidna maybe for a second. So uh, Echidna is a digital commerce agency, mm -hmm. uh, 250, 300 people? Yeah, probably? about 200, 250 people. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's steadily growing. We're pretty organic in our growth. Um, and that's intentional. Again, we're, we're not a large brand. There's probably not, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of competitors out there that have a much uh, a larger presence in terms of right. the community of uh, e-commerce providers. But we are a very boutique and dedicated uh, firm. So mm -hmm. we take, again, folks like me, our CTO, our CXO. We're not only embedded in the sales process and the discovery process, but we stay engaged even throughout the implementation. Right. So we really only take on about three to four large projects at one time so that we can all stay close to that, yeah. deliver on the promises we make on the front end. And then we've got a lot of retained clients after that we've had for several years who are happy with the work we're doing for them, and we just continue to help them innovate. And do you have a specific industry or use case focus, or, or how would you describe your ideal customer profile? Sure, yeah, and that's changed a bit. Again, we, we were founded in 2010, so our first sort of six years, like most of our competitors out there and most of the industry, was heavily focused on B2C um, and that retail sort of experience, uh, as well as omni-channel and, and things like that. Um, in more recent years, in these last six, seven years, uh, we've turned our attention to B2B. Mm -hmm. A lot of that has to do with, with really my motivation, and that is that our, our, our culture and our brand is really built around serving these companies in their efforts to leverage technology uh, right. for the, 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 the success of their company. Again, not technology for technology's sake. I know we all hear that a lot. No. Uh, I've heard you say, and I often say, technology yeah. alone is not the solution, yeah. that there's so much more around that that needs to be considered for the business to be successful with it. So we've spent a lot of time just really focused on these B2B, heavy-duty industry, mm -hmm. uh, manufacturing, some distribution, um, because they tend to be quite far behind in terms of not yeah. just the technology, but the practice of innovating and implementing right. technology. And we find that a lot of them just need help getting to the to the racing start line. And that's where we spend a lot of focus right now, getting yeah. them there and then helping them from that new level of, of the playing field, being able to, again, extend their innovation going forward. And many of the requirements we are getting for B2B are always like, you know, something companies should have done like, 
eight years ago, yeah. right? So yeah. you, would, you would read through an RFP today and you're like, Absolutely. seriously? <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got some clients that, uh, I mean, literally the one recently is, is still running on a 2004 electronic parts catalog oh, software wow. um, that is about as old as you can imagine. When yeah. you look at it, you know that it is. Um, and they just haven't had the, either the, the leadership or the motivation or the capacity to really make that transformation. So mm -hmm. over the past year, we've been really helping them the, through the change management process of, of making that kind of, uh, you know. Do you think it's because of a lack of uh, motivation or just because they had, there was no need maybe because the business was still growing for them, was still all right? So, so what, what, what's the reason for companies? Yeah, to, it, like sometimes you would speak like to even successful companies who would have the budgets and the team and like everything, the resources. And still, they would run on these rusty, <laughs> rusty yeah. platforms in a way. Right? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've asked myself that question a lot, and I, th I think a lot of it has to come down to to trust in your leaders and in in the people that are going to lead that effort for you. Mm. And now, of course, in my in my past, that's always been internal to your IT team, so your CIO or your CTO or say maybe some directors or VPs that you really just had a lot of faith in, and they equally were ambitious in serving the company through technology innovation. Mm -hmm. Again, not just, hey, we need the newest, greatest, leading edge kind of thing, yeah. but rather really understanding the company and then knowing that they're solving for those problems. I think we've gotten to a point now where folks like me, you know, who came up the ranks of corporate IT as programmers, and now they've got 20 years in, mm -hmm. and they understand the business as well as they understand the tech. Yeah. Well, now they're able to actually help executives, business executives, business you know, owners understand why they should be making these investments mm. and why they should continually innovate, not just, you know, one time get a new updated platform and boom, right. you know, stick around for five years and see if it works, but rather continually innovate and build that kind of practice and culture. Into so it's your a translation basically problem. I right? think so. And I think we're now the technologists that are amongst us yeah. are getting to a point. You're, you're one. There's many like us that yeah. that now can actually explain those things to to business counterparts, yeah. whether they're internal or they're a partner. They're now able to help them understand that this is something that's, it's the core competency that we're all going to need going forward. And if we don't learn how to do that now, you know, you're only going to fall further behind. And I fully agree. I think it's, it's you know, to what we discussed like before, before the recording started, I think it's, it's too much pitch on architecture, too much, you know, technical discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I think this translation element is missing, right? Absolutely. So, um, and this is a good handover to, to, the next, to the next point. So when, and I like, by the way, the fact that you are so much involved in, you know, the customer engagements, you know, as you said, from the sales perspective to, in a way, customer success. So, I love so, new problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it. It's, it, it matters a lot. It also shows commitment, right, yes. uh, to, to companies because what, what we also see is that, once they decide to embark on this journey, there is a lot of fear, right? There is mm -hmm. a lot of, and, and I think if, if people can have, you know, can support them with some hand-holding, especially experienced people yeah. like you, right, who have seen it before, I think this means a lot, right? Uh, to does. them not just be a project for someone, but hey, you know, the owner, the president, the CEO is involved, they care, right? So they can calm me down, they've seen it before, so. Yeah. Uh, and and my next question is actually about about that. So, so when you speak to clients, what is the actual business outcome which 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 you are pitching on, right? Mm -hmm. So, so so not the technical requirements, but when you come in and say, look, let's do that, right? right. So let's 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 you know, composable is the next way, uh, or the next or the, or the right way to go. What 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 is the business outcome which you are typically pitching? Yeah, and and my answer might be a little different than than others that uh, that answer that because I. I don't spend a lot of time talking about their financials, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that's important, but I know that they're fully capable of, 
understanding what might happen if they can right. increase cells or right. you know be able to introduce uh, new channels and things like that i think they understand that i think a lot of the clients that we come in contact with and again many of these are on sort of legacy they haven't made that that transformational move yet right mm -hmm. so they mm -hmm. tend to come from a culture that is okay with that they're they're coming from a culture of Legacies are right. It's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, it's getting us by. We're okay. We don't need this huge yeah. investment of money. What I try and convince them of is that this is not a matter of purchasing technology or implementing technology. It's a matter of establishing a new practice of, of, of your operations, of your company's go-to-market. Maybe I'm thinking it. Even. You're thinking. Your culture, your brand, all of it, I think, is is about how do I establish this sort of predictable, regular, and reliable rhythm of innovation? Mm -hmm. How do I, like you said, there's a lot of fear when mm -hmm. they're trying to make these decisions. Well, a lot of that is because they're not sure who they're about to get. Mm -hmm. What Can I trust you? This is also the reason why you see me show up after the sale, because I know yeah. I'm the guy up front making these promises. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy up front seeing your fear and telling you, don't worry, yeah. we got you. We've done this. We know how to do this thing. Don't worry, yeah. we got it. Well, that's great, but mm -hmm. if I disappear after the sale is done, the deal is signed, and you know a B, comes, a B team comes in and, and doesn't quite keep that inspiration going, then they're not going to deliver on that promise. And, I, and we're very committed at Echidna, and, they, and my, my entire team knows this, that, that when we make promises, we intend to keep those promises, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means we're eating costs of our own, mm -hmm. because we didn't really consider something we should have, and that's on us. But those are the kinds of contributions we make because we want to build that long-lasting, right. reliable relationship with our clients yeah. so that if we tell them that we think you should go this way now, you know, once we've established you at the starting point, yeah. at the, you're in the race now, you can actually innovate, now we can take you where we think you should go, and you're going to trust us now because we've gone through this, this period of you building that rapport, seeing that when we make promises, we're delivering on it, right. and establishing a predictable rhythm and practice of innovation because people forget that you know if you, you you can sell the nicest architecture and the best features but you know if there is no business outcome right if yeah. business objectives are not met so the pr project will not be continued right or they will not exactly. double down right there will not, not be a second phase you lose faith yeah. You, you, yeah. you just lose faith again i've been on the receiving end of that as, as cio in my past is i've been promised many times you know the Pandacea, you know, mm -hmm. the A-team comes in in the sales process and they're, they're great, great experience, great insight. And we've got a great plan strategy, but then when we sign off and just not feeling the execution is kind of living up to yeah. those expectations. We want our execution to surpass those expectations. And, and so mm -hmm. that's where our, our target focus is. Again, the, the, the success we're trying to communicate is there's a race going on. Mm -hmm. This innovation thing is now a race. You're in a race with your direct comp competition, but you're also in a race with all the expectation that is being placed on you from every other innovator out there. Right. And you haven't even tried on your track shoes yet. You know, mm -hmm. we, I think we need, to, we need to get you suited up. We need to teach you how to run, and we need to get you to that starting line because once the gun fires, you're in a race. And if mm -hmm. you can't figure this out now, just look at chat GPT as a side, yeah. right? Just the small innovation that's got everybody thinking about, wow, and it's going to blow into a lot of recurring innovation after that. Yeah. Well, if you simply don't even have the means in which to connect those into what you need to do, yeah. and it's going to take you six months each time you want to try and connect something to it, you're going to fall further and further behind. And yeah. you're just that's just not a recipe for success in today's age. And I mean, uh, the, the composable commerce term, I think, you know, uh, it came up like in the last two to three years. When, do, when you speak to especially business 
decision makers, right? And you try to convince them that <coughs> they should they should go fully composable, right? So, so how do you explain composable commerce in <coughs> simple terms? How do you translate it yeah. to a business buyer, to a CFO, to a CEO, to someone in sales marketing? Yeah, I, I do have different ways to explain it for those <laughs> yeah. different audiences, and oftentimes it depends on you know how 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 much have they really thought about the concept? Because I do think of composable commerce as both sort of a concept and a and a practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a practical solution. But it's also a concept you got to be bought into before you'll do that, um, and and the reason is because you got to look, you know, sort of traditionally where have we come from, right? And and the monolithic platforms, you know, the sort of all-in-one features, functionality, capabilities of e-commerce, I feel like those were kind of necessary at the beginning of, mm -hmm. of certainly adopting the cloud and yeah. platforms and software as a service. That were those were necessary because the businesses didn't even really understand what are all the capabilities they need to be successful right. in e-commerce. And so those providers were able to say, here it is in a box, this will get you there. Yeah. And they were for the most part. But now you fast forward, you know, let's say maybe 10 years ago, you fast forward to today, and there's so many providers out there of innovation, tech innovation, platform innovation, all these capabilities. Now it's more a matter of how do I orchestrate? How do I take advantage of what's out there and then orchestrate it in such a way that my novel brand has a novel experience? Right. that doesn't feel so custom or, or isn't so custom, and this is where I may be talking to the CIO a bit more, mm -hmm. but isn't so custom now that everything has to run through a sequential pipeline. Everything has to be managed meticulously to make sure that this one little change you make doesn't break all the other things that you've got dependent on that thing. And now Composable Commerce offers you that opportunity to run parallel work streams with yeah. committed, focused attention to those particular capabilities, and even for a CFO, allowing you to measure at that particular level where you're spending and what value you're getting from them. And it just allows you to run all of those things in more paralleled streams right. and come together in a quicker amount of time. Like I said, we're in a race. This is not something that you can take a year to figure out, right. you know, I want a new payment provider. How do I implement them and migrate sure. over? This is the kind of thing that, you know, and, and I think about forecasting in the future where, the, these discovered serverless services are just sort of out there in the ethers and easy to tap into because you've got platforms like, you know, Spryker and others that are composable and ready to yeah. take on anything that's ready to be incorporated into what this experience is. Mm -hmm. It's that simple of a plug-in and a usage. And when, when, when these decision makers ask you about the pros and cons, so, mm -hmm. so what, especially on the cons side, right? So there right. are many pros to it, but what, what risks are you pointing out and flagging? Yeah. Yeah, the cons are the cons are, are like I don't think the cons are too too different than what they have been before composable commerce when you've got multiple vendors and multiple technologies involved. Mm -hmm. You've got some of the so like for example in monolithic systems if there's an issue that you're having Typically, all of the symptoms of that issue are contained within that one platform, within mm -hmm. its logs, defect reporting, whatever it is, you can troubleshoot within that system. When you've got a composable platform, you're, of course, or a highly integrated platform, you've got a lot of vendor players in, in, involved, so you've got a lot of potential, you know, again, to use the term, yep. throats to choke or accountability to be measured out to those various vendors. And your technology team is also a bit more challenged to figure out are the issues coming from here or here mm -hmm. or here? And is there an orchestration challenge we need to work ourselves through? I think those are probably the, the bigger, you know, sort of cons to right. it is that it's going to take more sort of management overhead to an extent to make sure that all the players are operating together and orchestrated properly to build that experience. You will, will it also be more expensive? So are you seeing that 
sticking together multiple vendors uh -huh. in the end of the day because you end up having four or five different contracts and not this one big vendor who you can squeeze or who might throw in this queue mm -hmm. for free even just to not let you churn yeah. maybe off the core offering is it is it something you're seeing or is it playing out still 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 okay for no i think it is something <coughs> we're seeing early on at least right now because yeah. i think i think there's still the leverage is still a bit in the monolithic you know um sort of field i guess yeah. to use a, I, I think the i think the leverage is still there because they have such a captive market already and right. so they can argue and like you said provide deep discounts to keep themselves around and keep themselves competing. And so that can appear as if it's less expensive yeah. than a composable commerce where you are having to negotiate all of these different contracts. Um, but what I tell our clients is that, that you've got to think through the long game on these things mm -hmm. too. Oftentimes these big players like the Oracles or the mm -hmm. SAPs or you know, others can offer long five, 10 year commitments on some pricing and they can, they can handle those costs because they've got other you know, business lines that can support that sort of co you know, loss leader yeah. in those spaces. But I think looking forward, as more of these options are available for composing, and so I've got, you know, now I've got four or five, six, ten different payment providers that are all effectively providing the same capability with some nuances. Right. But now that they all know that they're competing to be the preferred you know, plug-in to this mm -hmm. composable architecture, I expect that they're going to get much more competitive with their pricing and much more like a composable platform, you know, modularized and, and sort of isolated to exactly what your usage is. Mm -hmm. Here's your cost on that usage. So going back to the CFO again, yeah. at micro levels, they're able to start looking at ROI on, right. you know, just your provider, your capability. What is that costing us? What's the return on that investment? Yeah, and, and, and do I need it, right? So, I think do I, is, yeah. so, so you might end up with less capabilities just because your business case doesn't right. require you know, yeah. uh, everything that you would have in this, in this large. Which is another advantage of like the composable commerce, right? You guys can actually, you can set the pricing based on the usage of the feature set, whereas the monolithic, mm. you know, you're getting it all or you're yeah. getting none of it. So you certainly have that nuance of being able to be more competitive in your price. Selection. I'm also very interested in seeing, I mean, obviously there is no data yet, right? But like in the next couple of years, once kind of we go through at least the first life cycles of the mm -hmm. first fully composable Architect, because at the moment nobody can really compare the, the TCO over a like let's say three to five year period, just because Composable Commerce is not around for that long. Mm -hmm. But let's say in the next two three years, hopefully there will be some like for like comparisons where at least from a TCO perspective, right, it will be easier mm -hmm. if you count in maintenance costs, support costs, like every like 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 the, the the piece of the iceberg which is underwater, right. right? Say hey, look, you know your application was much leaner, your architecture was much cleaner, it was much easier to support. You could have. You could, you know, find bugs much, much faster. The regression effects, you know, occurred as much more rarely than, than in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a suite application. Mm -hmm. And then if you sum up this cost over a period of three to five years, even if, which is also not to your point, even if maybe the initial setup was a bit more costly, mm -hmm. right, then in the end, maybe the TCO still will, will yeah. be significantly lower. Yeah, I think, it, that, I think that's exactly <coughs> what we are waiting to see. Because yeah. I think... Certainly us, the, the technologists, right, in our mind are like, this is what we've been working toward, you know, yeah. from, from my earliest days of, of programming, right? The other, the other sort of scenario I use for clients, right, that are maybe not as tech savvy and, mm -hmm. and like to use the analogies, and this is a pretty common one, right, the Lego yeah. analogy, right? And the little Lego bricks are software languages. Mm -hmm. They've got elements within every software language that you can create. Essentially, you can build anything you can imagine right. based on the logic of those basic elements. Same with Legos. But if you take that same comparison and you think about, you know, Lego will sell you the 
the product in a box. You know, here's yeah. the Millennium Falcon, right? Yeah. All the instructions and all the pieces, you just need to put it all together and boom, you've got your Millennium Falcon. I think about like the packaged business capabilities being like that, right? Yeah. So I don't need to get down to the Lego level and try and figure out what the custom solution is because yeah. once I build that custom thing, that's all it's for is just what it's going to be used for. I can't use it anywhere else. It's not really something that I can manage and, yeah. and, and enhance. Whereas in these you know, packaged business capabilities, you got the ability to isolate those and manage those independently and, and you know, sort of roll those out as you need them. Yeah, this I just feel like it gives you the control you need. This this what we do at Spryker, right? So, so, so like it's a, maybe opposed to the, the full microservice approach, right? We, we deeply believe in this PVC I concept. We provide like 40 PVCs and companies, like also business decision makers can, can you know, decide, you know, I want to use this PVC and, and that PVC from you as a vendor and put them together and compose them together while, you know, the other two PBCs I rather take from other vendors. Yeah. Right? Which is fully, fully, fully exactly. okay. And how do you how do you um, how do you qualify like is or, or two questions. Is is every every company set up to go down this composable commerce mm. route, right? Mm -hmm. And when customers approach you and, and, and ask for, hey, you know, we, we heard about this composable commerce thing, how do you qualify for hey, you guys are ready or you guys are not ready yet? And if they are not ready, what is it that that is missing? Like, like besides the tech, like the, the the will, the willingness to, to go down this route and the technology, what capabilities like methodology, org chart, etc., do they need to to be successful? What what are you what are you advising your, your clients on? Well, it's a good question. Um, I guess probably first I would say is the way in which we tend to approach our clients whenever we're we're you know pitching a solution, is that we are focused on the the broad solution of what is this commerce channel going to look like? What are the pieces and parts and components and capabilities you're going to need in it? We, and we tend to talk all about that before we even talk about what the tech platform is right. that, you know, essentially is going to, going to meet all of those needs. Um, so we'll still talk about it in those terms of what is the solution that you need? What's the MVP, right? Mm -hmm. How do we get you to market with something that's viable that can support the continuous innovation yeah. of whatever that product is? And, and when we're talking about the, the composable uh, side of things, you know, I, w I tend to lean towards simplicity first. Mm -hmm. So unless there's a dire need for them to reach out to third-party PVCs to be plugged into Spryker, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Unless there is a need for a, a separate PIM or a separate CMS, or se we're going we're gonna to recommend yeah. just use what Spryker has built into it. Use yeah. those. As you build this business and you understand better about the nuances in how maybe Spryker's PBC does it versus a third-party PBC does it, right. then you've got the option, and now the option is actually available to you to make those swaps out mm -hmm. without significant rewrite and rebuild of what you've got here. So that's how we tend to do it is to keep the complexity down. To start, we do want to keep as many people or as many vendors and technology uh, involved as possible. But we're, of course, looking at their particular business needs and we're crafting the solution for specifically what they need. I sometimes use the analogy of these, these uh, large resorts with these buffet restaurants uh -huh. where there is everything, right? There is some Asian and some Mexican food and there is some Italian, right? And you go there and then you just try out what you like and there is everything, right? And then you find out that, hey, I'm a sushi guy, right? Or, hey, I yep. like Italian. And then you go to the special Italian restaurant in the resort, right, which, which they always have, mm -hmm. because then you discover that, you know, this is, this is your actual need. You don't need to eat from the buffet because the Italian food on the buffet is always less, less cool than in, yeah, <laughs> in the dedicated. Yeah. My dedicated. wife always talks about how, how long has it been sitting out there? Exactly. I don't know that I want to eat the buffet. <laughs> and and, and um, so, so 
let's imagine there is a client, uh, they understand the concept of composable, you start working on requirements, you define MVP. So how are you supporting or what else is required like in terms of hand-holding besides you delivering on a great you know, technology promise you know, from a customer success perspective, from you know, helping them to maybe focus on the right unit economics or focus on the right KPIs, mm -hmm. uh, measure success, make the CFO happy. So how do you, how do you support uh, clients beyond just the technology piece? Sure, yeah, so what, uh, probably worth mentioning are sort of the practices that, that we go to market with. So our four practices at Echidna is the executive consulting. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, of course, leaning on my experience and, and others that, again, have extensive experience in e-commerce, consulting those businesses, because oftentimes we're dealing with companies that again, have to approach this digital transformation. So it's as much an organizational change as it is a, a technology investment and implementation. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time there talking mm -hmm. about what are your measures of success, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, these are large enterprises that we tend to work with, and oftentimes they do have KPI that they are certainly managing to from a business perspective. They may not have quite sort of narrowed that down to the incremental metrics that they need to, you know, sort of the lagging KPI that lead to those those indicators for them. Um, so we'll help them identify things that are fairly common within the space. You know, mm -hmm. how do you measure your conversions? How are we going to measure that going forward? Uh, how do you test and optimize for the different personas and different audiences you're trying to um, serve? Um, and we combine that along with, again, our UX services. So that's mm -hmm. our second practice from our UX services, which includes a lot of user research, so we mm -hmm. offer a lot of user research, contextual in interviews, uh, we'll go on site and monitor particular users, whether that's direct customers or maybe the, if it's a B2B, it could be their customers' customers. Right. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time assessing how they operate and how we anticipate they will want to op operate with this new uh, solution in place. And we'll build, again, micro metrics around that. What are the things that, that again, may be very unique to, you certainly have the conversions and add to mm -hmm. carts and all the things that make sense, but there can be some very important sort of leading indicators that we want to help them identify. So we'll use those first two practices. Uh, and then our UX design services, of mm -hmm. course, everything we solution before we get to the solutioning, we're very customer oriented. So very consumer experience, customer experience oriented, not only on that front end of the website, but also on the back end. So we think a lot about the employees at the clients right. that we work for, and we think about what their experience is. Mm -hmm. And we think a lot about self-serve. Not only self-serve, again, for those customers on the front end going through their My Account and looking at order history and knowing yep. what vehicles are on their account, things like that, but also for those business administrators back there. We don't want them. We, we're trying to work ourselves out of a job in many ways. We don't want them calling us up to say, hey, we need a new page for this or a new section for that. We want them to have the tooling that they need to be able to run the business at their pace mm -hmm. and at the demand that they need it from. Right. And that's where we tend to focus a lot. Okay, yeah, that's great, that's great. I mean, we, we, we have this marketing slogan, compose outcomes beyond technology. And we've, we, we, we find more and more that, you know, the more services and, and handholding you can provide beyond the technology piece, mm -hmm. the higher the chance for success, right? Especially, yeah. especially in, uh, you know, crazy environment and macro uh, which mm -hmm. we are all in, I think, at the moment. Which is also my next question: uh, Have you have you observed any change in the last like two to three years? I mean, obviously, you know, we went from pandemic to recession, oh, inflation, yeah. uh, war, uh, bank runs. Like there is everything. Uh, was there any change in what customers were seeking, like in terms of like business outcome or uh, uh, you know the, the the time towards this outcome? Like, have have the conversation changed in any way? So are, are the the decision makers the business stakeholders asking you for something different mm -hmm. than they asked you uh, for two years ago? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it, not not dramatically, but I think 
the things that really changed is, uh, first off, is I think awareness of the need mm -hmm. to at least be prepared for these things. Again, going back to, you got to be ready to be at the starting line because when th things like a pandemic hit and everybody goes home and you're relying on digital channels, well, that's not the time to implement a new e-commerce platform. <laughs> I mean, you can, but you're kind of late to the game at that point. The race will be over before you know you get right. to market. So it did at least make a lot more business you know, uh, folks start becoming much more aware of what could we be doing online? Maybe it's not really in the e-commerce bucket the way that we've all talked about it in the past, but especially in the B2B space, a lot of customer portal conversations started coming right. back up. Now, those have been around since yeah. 2005, <laughs> right? Customer portal came back up because they started recognizing, you know, although a lot of our customers may be doing sort of transactions over EDI or purchasing in other channels, they did have a need to want to come online and, and understand where their business stood with you, with, you know, with the company that was serving them. And so that's where we saw a lot more of, okay, we can't meet face-to-face -to -face much anymore. We want to provide a lot more in terms of digital conveniences and self-service to our clients. And of course, e-commerce came along with that. Of course. Um, but that's where we saw a lot more innovation, at mm -hmm. least thought innovation from our business counterparts uh, and, and, thinking and, about and that. Are there any examples or, or case studies you're the most proud of, like in terms of business outcome achieved, right? So, so not, hey, we built a great architecture, but client came to you with one ask and then, then you know, fast forward 12 months or 24 months of the relationships that you're mm -hmm. having, hey, you know, someone tripled in sales or someone's bottom line, you know, improved or are there any good, good business uh, uh, objective yeah. Uh, examples? Yeah, I think there have been. Uh, well, I know there have been a lot of good examples. I, just again, I think in the measurements that we look at, um, of course, we, we certainly in our case studies talk about what sort of order, mm -hmm. average order volume they've, they've seen right. increases in, conversions they've seen increases in, traffic and so on. And we generally see for all of them that they are seeing, you know, the, the kinds of increases you'd expect to see there. Right. Um, but I think what, what I take the most pride in, and I think our company takes the most pride in, is what we see in the, in the demeanor of how they operate. Mm -hmm. So once we've, by the time we've gotten to launch, we've been working through these cycles of you know, development, you know, first design, development, right. testing, acceptance, right. de design, development, testing, acceptance. And by the end of this, their entire organization, at least involved in, in this uh, effort, has become attuned to it. Mm -hmm. And they predict it and they prepare for it and, and, and even anticipate so that they're prompting us for it. Mm -hmm. And so what I end up seeing is actually much more cultural and organizationally they're, they're much more mature in understanding innovation is something that we've got to keep practicing, we've got to always be on top of. And so as things are rolling out, and this is our kind of fourth practice mm -hmm. after technology implementation is the performance optimization. Yeah. So now we're seeing them taking advantage of things that allow them to see experiments in, yeah. in real time yeah. and changing out and the things, the winners. Testing, yeah, more use cases. And yeah. seeing the results of the actual business metrics that they're chasing. And so it's almost like when I think about composable commerce and what we're building, our objective is to build a solution mm -hmm. that then our business could use, our business, because we always right. refer to ourselves as an extension of their team. So we talk about their business as being yeah. our business, but so that our business leaders can then compose the solutions that they need mm -hmm. when they come up. So the market comes up and some new need is, is, is there. Yeah. They're not needing to ask us to go and construct something again. We've already constructed a solution now that they can use to compose what they need. Uh, for their business at that time. So in a way, it's actually an interesting, interesting way how you, uh, you know, how you describe it. So in a way, you are not just helping them to deliver on the you know technology solution, but you are just searching for the right word. You, you, you're empowering. also uh, so, so this 
um, digital fitness, right? Maybe is a good is a good yeah, term, like right? To, to coin it, right? So you so you increase the digital fitness, right? So they start with a two out of ten, and then by the time you guys are kind of done, right? So yeah. they get to a six, seven out of ten, right? So 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 maybe this is. A I really thing. love that. You know why? Because well, it fits my algorithm, right? <laughs> it fits my algorithm. Get yeah. your track shoes on. Exactly. You got to right? learn how to yeah. run. And you got to get fit. You got you got to be able to compete when you get to that starting. And this may be also something customers would like like hearing, right? Especially yeah. decision makers when you come in and you know do some kind of assessment, saying, look, you know, we 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 worked with your team. We looked at them, and to be honest, right? Methodology, team, certain roles are missing. Technology, so digital fitness yeah. is two out of ten. I like that. And then twelve months later, yeah. you say, hey, Mr. Owner, you know, now look at your team. Look at them. Yeah. Right. It's like eight out of ten now. Right. So there's still yeah. some way to go. But I, I like that. It, I like it also because, uh, <laughs> you know, for a long time, digital maturity was sort of that thing, yeah, right? That we go in and assess when I was consulting. But I, I never liked that one because it, you know nobody likes to be called immature. Yeah. That exactly. doesn't. That sounds like a you know. You, yeah. you, you guys don't <laughs> yeah. know what the hell you're doing. Well, that's yeah. not what it is. I think the fitness makes a lot more sense because it's like it's not that you don't know how what you're doing. But we've got some coaches here. We've got some folks here that can exactly. actually show you how to get a lot more fit in the way that you're doing exactly. it. Yeah. Let us help you get fit. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> you're happy to use it. Yeah, I'm going to use it. Um, <laughs> you already shared in a nutshell um, how you see Composable Commerce kind of evolving. But, but when you think about the trajectory and you know, where it's heading to, so how, how, do you, how do you think about like, you know, Composable Commerce in two, three, four years from now? Yeah, I, I do think a lot about that, especially recently with, you know, again, the explosion of AI, generative AI and things like that. Yeah. that you know, again, I, that feeling I had back in 94, 95 about the internet, again, that's how right. I feel about this. So I revolutionary. And there's been a lot of innovation since that time till now, but none of them have really struck me like I think this one is, as well as, and, and maybe to a, it's, it's not as, it's not as uh, I guess, exciting, right? But the composable commerce kind of thing is, is I think this unspoken aspect to that, to, to allow it to be uh, successful. And that is, when I think two to three years out, I'm imagining these composable commerce platforms, not just in e-commerce, but really any platform becoming um, the standard that all tech providers, everything that gets produced, their destination is to live in a composed platform, right? Mm -hmm. Not to stand alone and then they have to have these, you know, integrations built, but right. rather built as a PVC, ready to be deployed into mm -hmm. these composable platforms. And even going so far as once that standard is in place and known that they could even be discovered out there, like mm -hmm. there, that there's not an effort to say, okay, well, I'm going to create a PVC here. Hey, Spryker, does this fit okay? Hey, is this, mm -hmm. is this all working okay? That it'd be so established and so mature at that point that th mm -hmm. that's just part of the development process right. and they can even be discovered as, as clients are looking for all the options mm -hmm. that they are immediately available to them and a push of the button kind of, yeah. Uh, methodology is how you deploy them. Yeah, that's interesting. Now that's that's asking a lot, and I, and I imagine that you're always going to yeah. have folks like us, you know, like you know the, the the solution providers that are helping guide and advise and mm -hmm. and facilitate those activities. But I see that just becoming easier and easier for us to do, and so I expect the cost for us doing that kind of work for our clients to mm -hmm. decrease as well, uh, making this more profitable for our clients. We'll find other veins. We'll find ways to make our business successful and keep right. growing in light of that. In fact, we may be building PBCs ourselves and, and right. you know, chat GPT may be somehow yeah. you know, behind those or yeah. other AI you know, right. capabilities. So I think that option is there for both folks like us as well as the clients to benefit from. Right. 
Oh, this is this is this is super super interesting. Uh, yeah, I can I can I can see. I already thought about <laughs> conversational commerce is one I've been already been tossing around. So I was in the, you know put it on the record or not, but uh, I, I like to, I watch TikTok. I get a lot of and I leverage for that algorithm to find sort of the the, the rabbit holes I want to drive into. But one of the first ones I saw, and I think I told you back this maybe back in December, but one of the first ones I saw after ChatGPT came out was simply a video of an application that had the text on the left and it had a cart, a shopping yeah. cart on the right. And the guy was just talking to it and he was saying, okay, let me get uh, two gallons of milk. Uh, no, make that one gallon. Uh, I'll take some bread. I'll take some. And all the while, it, the text that he's spe speaking is writing out, but the cart is also updating. Mm -hmm. And in this conversational tone, you know, so he's like, oh, yeah. no, make that two. He didn't say, oh, wait, set item one quantity to, yeah. to you know, he's conversationally, right? Mm -hmm. what, what I got to thinking about, because again, we're working with uh, a few automotive aftermarket kind of yeah. places. Well, a lot of their customers, uh, at least one of the roles on their customer sides are mechanics or engineers or technicians, mm -hmm. right? People, you know, dirty hands. Hands uh, on, yeah. right? My dad was a mechanic. So yeah. I grew up in the garage and you know who I was? I was mm -hmm. dad's assistant. Mm -hmm. Hey, give me, so give me that three quarter socket. Hey, I need a wrench, this mm -hmm. over here. Hey, write down this part number for me, mm -hmm. three seven, and yeah. I'm the guy. I'm you know ten year old Mike is over there. I'm his assistant. There's no reason why I can't imagine why now with these language models and their conversational yeah. procedures being you know of course educated on the appropriate data models for these companies, but then you know sitting right there in their pocket while the mechanic's got his hand on one exactly. part and turning the tool with the other. He's yeah. able to say, hey, okay, I need part number, model, such or and which such. which part way. number, you know. What, or what, which part. Uh, which OEM part. Exactly. Non-OEM part, you know, what, what makes sense here. Yeah. Uh, which one is available faster, right? right. Yeah, my, my cousin's picking up his car tomorrow. I can't you're wait for two it. days, right? Yeah, you're yeah. running with it. This is exactly what I'm thinking. Is like that I can imagine, it, and I think you asked earlier, maybe you're going to ask a question, I can say it again, but, you know, if there are these radical views that, yeah. that uh, you know, others may have some argument against, I, one I have is that I think commerce will become screenless, no screen commerce. Yeah. And, I, and I think honestly, you know, from my early days in IT, often the saying was is that if nobody notices IT, that means it's working. Mm -hmm. It's only when there's big issues, crises, everything. Everybody knows about IT then yeah. and they all want to talk to IT. But when everything's running really great, you don't even know the tech is really there, or at least you forget the tech yeah. is there. Yeah. And I can imagine huge amount of applications for this sort of conversational commerce that's going to come. I, th back. And I, th I think, especially for for the younger generation, uh, I was I was giving this example uh, to to someone like the other day. Uh, it's a real example of of my uh, seven year old son, who and it is like Alexa is very far away from the example that you described because right. you know you still need to the semantics kind of, uh, aren't quite there. Yeah, but but, but yeah. it works quite fine for the for the normal uh, use cases. And I and I teach him. He's reading the uh, you know a kids magazine like it's called the Mickey Mouse, right? Uh -huh. Basically, that's cartoons. Um, and then, so he would check with Alexa whether a new episode is available. And if so, then he just says, hey, you know, please, please buy it. And two days later, it comes, it comes to our home. And I was trying to explain to him that the alternative to this, right, to, to, to what, what he learned kind of as his first interface, if you want so, yeah. is you need to go to a certain dedicated location in the house, let's say to my room. You need to go to a certain a place in this room to my desk. You need to open a certain device, which is the MacBook. You need to open a certain application, which is the browser. You need to type in Amazon.com, right? Then you need to go to the search bar. You need to type in Mickey Mouse episode six. Then you go on the PDP, you put it into, even if you say all of this, right. it, it sounds like so heavy. Uh -huh. 
so heavy, right? For and then and then he asked me, you know, why would you do so? Why why wouldn't I just say, hey, is there a new visitor available? Oh, that for me, yeah. right? And this is like, so 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 my, so my point is, I think especially for people who and for children, right, growing up, like the next generation growing up, not knowing, either not knowing uh, any other interface or yeah. knowing, but you know, ha actually having had a very bad heavyweight experience. Yeah. And that's know, it will be very hard line. to explain. It will be very yeah. hard to explain why should they do so, right? right? Why should they? Why should they? so? And that's and that's after twenty years of streamlining commerce, right? Because yeah. how many years have we been talking about oh fewer clicks and you know one yeah. step checkout and you know right. so all the streamlining has been done you know sort of in these microcosms of the website, but you just described all the steps that have to happen even to get yeah. to that point, and and you know again this conversational kind of narrative language spoken kind of commerce. It isn't going to displace all of that, but my my experience at Walmart taught me something else. So one of the things that you know the Sam Walton culture at Walmart, um, there's a story that was told to us early on um, that back in 1988 when David Glass was sort of Sam Walton's right hand man, it was David Glass that was arguing for hey we need to invest more in this IT stuff. You know they were talking point of sales and things back then. They said we need to invest more in this IT stuff. And uh, Sam Walton told David Glass, he said, well, that's fine, but you tell those technologists they're merchants first and they're technologists second. Right. And part of the requirement being working at Walmart is uh, at least twice a year you had to work in the store. You had to yeah. spend a weekend working in the store, learning how the store operates. Um, every Saturday you had to go to the sales uh, uh, financials meetings where they're disclosing how the companies are doing regionally, all of that. And, and so that time in the stores taught me a lot of things in that as I compared it to what we were doing online at the time, we're recreating aisles, we're recreating store planning, we're recreating right. merchandising because we're doing it all for this new kind of user experience, yeah. this new intera interaction. And that was necessary because that's what we were working with, the screens. And that's, so you call it endless aisle. And, uh, endless aisle, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even the simple things like, you know, how do you merchandise things on a website versus how you merchandise things in a store. In the store, you're talking about store planning and placement and end caps and aisles and, you know, all of this. And how far do they have to go to get the milk and what things do they pass on the way? Mm -hmm. You're actually trying to make it a bit more drawn out to expose more to them, whereas in the web world, your intent was to make this shorter and more condensed and more efficient and expedient to get to where you're going. But in reality, I think what everyone is most naturally uh, you know, drawn to is the more humanistic type of interaction, right? And I think that's what this chat is starting to bring back is that if I could just talk to you and tell you, hey, I want this thing, or can you tell me what my account said? Or like you said, hey, what's the part number on this particular yeah. vehicle? And it's just telling me the answer to that. I mean, why and, would and, I want and, anything else? And in B2B, interestingly enough, like to your point about uh, screenless, uh, uh, right? so it's, it's, it even goes oft beyond the conversational commerce. Like we, we, we have many, uh, many, many clients who, uh, who are doing IoT commerce, basically, or Think Commerce as Gartner calls it, right? Mm -hmm. Where there is no interface at all, right? So where like being a manufacturer of you know, spare parts or like you know, in automotive, CPG, health, pharma, they would have you know, devices which out of a sudden would restock, replenish automatically schedule maintenance appointments automatically, yeah. right? So there is no, there is not even a conversational interface needed right. because the device itself would, you know, buy or receive software updates or would say, hey, looks like I will need maintenance in two weeks. Yeah. And why don't you, by the way, bring this part with you because probability is high that this will be the part which is broken, yeah. right? So then there is, it's, it's a complete friction 
frictionless uh, experience. So, to so say, it, right? it, you're, I think you're right on, and this is where I spend, you know, so when I get passionate about it, my wife knows this stuff because she gets bored by all the things I tend to talk about. ChatGPT was yeah. just, oh my God, she couldn't hear enough about it. But of course, she got into it as well. So, <laughs> but, but I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think it's, it's, it's the stuff, like I said, when you don't know the IT is there, and yet it's, it's still doing its thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's back there. And as AI, I mean, this, this generative AI approach and the models that we're seeing now and their propensity to be able to do those yeah. kind of decision-making behind the scenes and take action on behalf of the users um, based on preferences or, you know, sensor events or other activities that trigger yeah. those things for, to happen, why do I need to be around telling you I need replenishment of this thing? I mean, it's like you wake up knows. in the morning and your iPhone is updated, right? Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you leave your house it. and your Tesla got a new, a new update, right? So I, I love this, right? right. So that, that, you know, all of a sudden your car can do more than it could yep. do like 12 hours ago, right? And there yeah. are new games for the kids and there is Spotify and there is Zoom coming in, right? right? So and this is like, I think a very, I think this is the, the actual, yeah. You know, Champions League of uh, experience <laughs> that you could. Like, like I said, I grew up being an artist, so I still draw a lot and I still sculpt and all those things. But I use my my artistic, especially my drawings and a lot of our presentations, our pitches. I tend to put a lot of these things together because I do a lot of illustration and what yeah. I'm because I'm trying to help lay people understand conceptually what they're they're yeah. getting here and not get too techy and all the tech stuff there. Uh, but I often think, uh, you know, the same way. I imagine these things as sort of little AI bots, and when I draw pictures, I draw little AI bots that. They just, they're, they're out there in the ethers and they're prepared to work on behalf of me as an individual. So yeah. I see in the future that I'm simply instructing these different, and maybe one, yeah. you know, marshalling all the others, but I'm basically instructing them, here are the things I want done today, go do them and report back to me kind of thing. Or right. maybe not even report back. Maybe yeah. you just, it just do them and that's done. And I know done. I can trust it's done. Yeah. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, look, I have two last questions. One, one is... Uh, like given this this incredible experience and career that you that you have, so is there any advice that you would give to your younger self, like you know, going a couple of years back, if you would know something you know today, to you know, do or not do? Yeah, I, I think I'd probably have to go back a little further than a couple of years, but I do think I would have probably gotten um, more familiar and and more entrenched in the business side of things mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I think I think I've made a, a, a significant growth in both tech and, and business over my career. But if I had an opportunity to go back, you know, five or six years, I think I'd understand better how to communicate these to businesses because right. I found that that is, again, in these last five years, has been the significant difference maker. Is that now, as well as I understand the technology, and I can mm -hmm. speak to those technologists about what they need, I can speak just as effectively now to the business owners and what, right. what, whether or not they need or, or need a second set of eyes on their technologists mm -hmm. uh, to understand where they should be going. So I think that's probably the, the, the one thing that I would probably okay. focus more time on, not, not only for myself, but again, the culture of the company that I'm building um, is just much more business mm -hmm. and, and business outcome oriented right. now than just the tech. The tech is certainly something we practice and we perfect and we're diligent. And we got to make sure that that's our yeah. core offering is always spot on, but it's never the technology alone, right? So yeah. we always want to be mindful of what is this technology empowering and how do we make sure they understand how to use it effectively. And is there any uh, final book or blog recommendation, something that you know you, you came across recently, which, which you know really helped you, push you forward, inspired you? Do you want to share with the audience? <sighs> you know, I... <laughs> What's funny is that it's a book I'm writing. 
that okay. inspires me. Now, now, if I was going to offer books that others, you know, look <laughs> at, I would say The Power of Now because that's one that's just really helped me out in my life. Okay. Uh, since since cool. I think Oprah introduced it back in 2006 or seven or eight or something like that. Yeah. I've read it and I've listened to it three or four times. It's kind of a meditative sort of thing that, that helps me uh, just kind of stay in the moment and understand today's the important thing, right now is the important thing. So that's one I just offer for anyone because we can be in a high-stress, mm-hmm. you know, field yeah. and... Uh, and so it's important to take care of yourself. So that, that's one I would say. But the, the reason why I mentioned the one that I'm writing is because I actually started writing on it. It's a sci-fi kind of novel thing, okay. and it's tech-oriented, and you'll, you'll probably appreciate you know, the, <sighs> the, the story. Uh, but I started working on it probably about 10 years ago, and I found that you know, and I'm not trained as a writer or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I could certainly, you know, put a lot on paper, but man, it was hard. And it's like, this is not good stuff. This yeah. is, I mean, I get it, but I hear it in my head. This is not, you know, great written. So it sat there for a long time. Chat GPT came out and I took it out. And over the, a, a course of a, about three or four days, I rewrote the entire novel and then some. Mm-hmm. And it was because it was providing me all these great prompts and even providing me some character backgrounds and stories <laughs> and things that I was like, oh, this is great. The story's called Mindcap. Mm-hmm. And the idea is it's a 2075 and these devices you have now uh, uh, on your, you know, on your head, you know, probably looking like a cap or something, mm-hmm. not, not all techy looking, but mm-hmm. these devices on your head are now actually recording every waking moment of your life. So they're recording mm-hmm. every sensory, they're recording every brain, you know, mm-hmm. function. So the idea is that at this point it can actually right. understand what you're thinking by your brain waves and all this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so it's recording all these things, which means it's recording your life experience. And it's also I- I able to play back conscious experiences. Mm-hmm. So when you play it, when you put it on, you can go back and relive that moment that your dad taught you how to ride your bike kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And as you're in that experience, you don't, you're not aware of your present self. You're only aware of the consciousness of that seven-year-old right. and six-year-old, whoever they are. Right. And, and so you only know the knowledge of that point. And so I, I, without belaboring it, there's a, you know, there's a central character. She had just lost her mother. She's moving to New L.A. That's what it's called, New L.A. now. This tech mecca. And there's a group of uh, open source developers called Angels that are working on, in this mindcap virtual space, reanimating people who had passed mm-hmm. based on their recordings of their conscious and AI simulating their persona right. oh, in wow. this new space. So someone, she had lost her mother. She's doing all this work, working with this group. They want to reanimate her mother and live new experiences where they're in this virtual space, which appeals to me. My mom passed away in 2016, so there's a bit of that mm-hmm. there. Uh, but then there's also, you got to have your drama. There's uh, the collective, and the collective has deployed a foreign AI agent that's manipulating the memories, wow. and now people are reliving their memories and learning new histories without realizing it, so they're manipulating for power. So there's, there's all okay. that going <laughs> into it. I raise it because I would have never gotten there. Had it not been for ChatGPT, yeah. it would have laid on the shelf. It would have never gotten done. I don't think I would have ever taken the time uh, to really learn how to write it that well. And and now I just I spend every sort of recreational hour working on this story, and it just it thrills me because now it makes me think about these things. Like, wow, this future is coming. What happens before we get to that point? How do we? And this is incrementally. This is this is great stuff. I, I can't wait, uh, you know, for you to to release it, and then we'll uh, have to, the to link it in the show it. notes. <laughs> Uh, Mike, thank you very much for being on the show. I mean, I think, you know, we, we learned a lot. Uh, thank you for sharing your perspective. It's an incredible journey, life journey, business journey uh, that you're on. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.